Hello, you're listening to the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on the Text, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 48, preached on the 10th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast, to hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Martin Luther's House Postles. I'm reading from a translation that's published by J.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, a text and translation in the public domain. First, the Gospel lesson, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 48. And when Jesus was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And he went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold therein, and them that bought saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chiefs of the people sought to destroy him, and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Luther's Sermon This gospel lesson Christians ought to note carefully that they may learn to fear God. It is one of the dreadful Gospels which St. Luke narrates, which we should take to heart and never forget. For here we are told about the great wrath and severity which came upon the city of Jerusalem. From this we may conclude, whoever continues in wickedness and sin cannot expect to escape punishment. Because God did not spare the excellent and highly favored city, which, notwithstanding that it had the word of God, did not amend its ways, all should refrain from sin and repent, else punishment and wrath cannot be avoided. The wrath and calamity which are to come upon the city and the people are so great that Christ himself is moved by it and weeps because the beautiful city is to perish miserably and to be destroyed, so that one stone will not be left upon another. And he exclaimed, O Jerusalem, if thou knewest and believedst the calamity which is to come upon thee, thou certainly wouldst not be so secure but wouldst weep and remember what belongs to thy peace, and ask God to be merciful. Though the Lord here speaks of Jerusalem, yet he warns and threatens all who have the word of God, but who hear it in vain or despise it, feeling secure or expecting God to be indulgent, surely the deserved punishment will follow as certain as there is a God. Hence we should guard against every sin, but especially against the sin of despising the word of God, or the time of visitation, that is, of hearing the preaching of the word without profiting by it, but continuing in sin, notwithstanding all our preaching. The punishment of such sin will surely come, although it be for a time delayed. In our gospel lesson, a special example of God's dreadful judgment is given on his beloved and most holy city of Jerusalem and his own peculiar people, which city was his own house and home and which people were members of his own family. Jerusalem was like a second heaven in which God dwelt with his holy angels. The true worship was instituted. Almost every prophet lived and found his grace. And finally, Christ, the Son of God himself, lived, 
died, was buried, arose again from the dead, and poured out his Holy Spirit. This city was indeed overwhelmed, as it were, with holiness, so that the like had not been in the whole world, nor will be to the end of time. All this, however, could not save the city, because the inhabitants thereof did not accept nor follow the word of God, who so strictly adhered to his word that he that his beloved city had to be made desolate. How much less will he spare other cities, which are nothing compared to Jerusalem, and other nations which are not as near to him as the Jews, who are his blood relations? Therefore we should pay attention to this example of the wrath of God and guard against despising his words so that we may not say, as we are apt to do, O oh, God will not be angry, nor will he punish so severely. If he destroyed his holy city Jerusalem, which was his most precious jewel upon earth, leaving no stone upon another because the people who heard his word were not benefited by it, we need not expect him to spare us if we are guilty of the same transgressions. Jerusalem was swept away entirely so that we could not say that one house was left standing. God inflicted this dreadful punishment at a time when the Jewish people had come to Jerusalem in large numbers to celebrate the feast of the Passover, about 30,000 strangers, as the historians tell us, having assembled there. He intended to kindle a great fire, therefore he had to co collect so much fuel. When he thus had gathered the people like a large funeral pile, yea, like a forest, he sends the Roman to kindle the fire and burn them. Josephus tells us that during the time when the city was besieged and conquered, Ten hundred thousand were slain or died of the pestilence, and ninety thousand were taken captives. The latter were so despised that thirty of them were bought for a penny. Christ had thus to be avenged, who was sold for thirty pieces of silver. This is the sad and dreadful punishment which God had destined to come upon his people, whom he had in great glory by many signs and wonders brought out of Egypt into the land of Cana, whose father he had been, and whom he had treated so kindly. But when they despised his word and would not follow him, his wrath was kindled and a dreadful punishment had to be inflicted. Such a calamity the Lord sees to be near and therefore weeps and says, If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Thou art going on in security as though there were no danger for thee, but it will not last long. Things will and must change, though the coming calamity is yet hidden from thine eyes. We may wonder why God hides the punishment and why he does not reveal it at once. Answer, he does it to show his patience and to see whether we will not amend our ways and seek his grace. For if he would strike us by thunder and lightning as soon as we had deserved it, none of us would reach the age of seven years. He puts off the time of punishment to give us time and opportunity for repentance. This is worthy of God, and he thereby magnifies his mercy toward us. The devil, on the contrary, is an angry spirit and acts differently. If he could kill us by one stroke, he would not hesitate a moment. But God is merciful, and for that reason extends the time of grace, though punishment will come at last. The long-suffering of God is abused. People will not make use of the time for their improvement, but will grow worse and worse. This is seen in the case of the adulterer, usurer, and thief. Because the deserved punishment does not follow at once, they suppose that there is no danger and that they may go on enjoying themselves. But beware, and be not deceived and misled. For here you see that though God postpones the punishment, it will come at last. Therefore return, repent, and be converted in time. This is meant when Christ says, 
but now it is hid from thine eyes, as if he would say, Be not deceived, punishment is only hidden for a while. You may kill me and shed my blood, as you have done in the case of the other prophets before me. I am silent and suffer it to be done. This may induce you to think that it will be the case always, that no punishment will follow. Therefore, no one is in earnest in striving after piety and amendment. But beware, you are not safe against punishment. If you could be persuaded and would believe it, you might make efforts to escape punishment, but you do not believe it. Therefore you are careless and suffer the time of your visitation in which you are warned and might obtain grace to pass by. You continue in sinful security without repentance. This is the very sin for which the wrath of God will overtake you. Here learn and mark what the Lord considers to be the greatest sin which he can least tolerate, namely, that his people do not consider the time of their visitation. The Lord here passes over all other sins and points only to this one, that the people did not take notice of the admonition and threatening of the prophets, but even persecuted them and shed much innocent blood until, as it is said in the scriptures, Jerusalem was saturated with blood, as Germany today has sinned greatly by persecuting the word and its servants. Besides this sin, other sins were in vogue, such as adultery, fornication, usury, avarice, theft, rioting, revelry, and the like. Such vices, Christ says, I have desired to correct by the word, teaching you to be pious and to amend your ways. For this purpose I have sent my prophets, John and my apostles, yea, I myself have come and taught and done many signs and wonders and everything by which you might have been led to repentance. All other sins of yours, great and many though they be, would not do you any harm, they would be forgiven and forgotten forever. Jerusalem would be secure and defended against all enemies if you only had remembered the time of your visitation. I did not come unto you with a sword or with a rod, but in meekness and as a Savior. I preach and cry, repent, amend your ways and be pious, hear and obey before the wrath comes in great power. This is my visitation. Do not deceive yourselves. You increase all your sin by not acknowledging, accepting, or suffering the visitation. In this case, it will be according to the saying, There is no help for him who will accept no advice. What devil would shave the sick that would snatch the razor out of his hand and thrust it into his body? This is the way in which you Jews treat your God. By me he offers you forgiveness of sins. He would be your gracious God and forgive and forget all your sins. He only asks that you cease sinning and accept his word. But you rail against me. Say that I have a devil. Call my preaching heresy. Endeavor to nail me to the cross and will not rest until you have accomplished your purpose. But this is indeed the work of the devil, that when God not only shows mercy and forgives sins, but bestows great and noble gifts besides, men turn against him and wickedly blaspheme his grace. When it comes that I can forbear no longer, punishment must be inflicted. When people oppose even forgiveness and grace, there is neither remedy nor help for them. This is the principal reason why the wrath of God is so great and terrible. And as the Jews did not want to see nor to hear God's word, so he afterward did not want to see nor hear their crying, praying, and worship. Nor did his wrath cease until Jerusalem was swept away, no stone being left upon another, so that it could be said, Here stood one house, there another. All was destroyed. That, was, that is what they wanted. This terrible example the evangelist has recorded for our prophet, that we may not despise the word of God, nor suffer the time of visitation to pass by without fruit. We should especially note the Lord's words. But now it is hid from thine eyes.
As a general thing, it is supposed that God will never punish. Because out of goodness he defers punishment and waits for repentance, the world thinks that he will keep silent always. But Christ bids us beware. Though you do not see the punishment now, you may be sure that it will come at last unless you repent. Though God delays for a time, yet he has set out so many nets and traps for the wicked that it is impossible for them to escape. In addition to this, he has appointed father and mother, master and mistress, and commanded them to exercise discipline upon wicked children and servants. Whoever will not yield to this, he delivers to the civil magistrate to be punished by the sheriff. This is a severe preacher who has a coarse voice sufficiently strong to take your head from your shoulders. Then there is the devil, who may by God's permission punish you with pestilence, famine, flood, and fire if you do not repent. No one need think of having his own way and of escaping the final judgment. If you will not repent nor listen to the counsel of God's word, you will have to be led by the executioner or the devil, but to your own hurt and ruin. Therefore you should not distinguish between the punishments which are hidden and those which are certain. The punishment of sin is always certain, though it be hidden for the time being, but because it is hidden for a while, people suffer themselves to be deceived. Hence Solomon also saith, It does not seem well that punishment is delayed and that God keeps silent so long as people only become more wanton. A thief who steals today without being caught will steal again tomorrow and expect to escape, but he will end on the gallows at last. He will never think of leaving off in time. The same is the case with adulterers, usurers, and, in fact, with all sinners. The better they succeed in their wicked course, the more eager and persistent they get. They do not regard the truth that, though the punishment is not seen, seen now, it is nevertheless certain. It will always end according to the proverb, the pitcher goes off into the well, that it comes home broken at last. Beware, therefore, and guard against deception. Though the punishment may be hidden, it is nevertheless certain and will surely come. Heathens have even learned from experience and said, When God comes to punish, he puts on woolen socks that he may step softly and not be heard. Therefore learn this, and be not secure, though God does not break in at once, but fear and beware. Many angels, servants, plagues, wars, famine, and pestilence are at his command to reach you. He may fill the air with fire to burn you. He may drown you in floods, or take you away by poison, or even by unsound fruit. In short, the snares and nets which God sets for wicked and impenitent sinners are numbered by the thousands. This is the reason why our dear Lord Jesus faithfully warns, weeps, and says, Beware, O Jerusalem, because the punishment is hid. You may suppose that it will never come, but in this you are deceived. The punishment is not hid for the purpose of giving you a chance to escape, but in order that you may be reached with more certainty if you regard not the time of your visitation. If you would make good use of such a delay, abandon your sinful course in time, adhere to the word, and you shall find counsel. If you do not, you must perish. Thus the Apostle Peter teaches, saying, 2 Peter 3, Account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. That is, consider it to be your salvation and for your good that you may not be condemned. For if God would punish us as soon as we have sinned, none of us, as we have said, would come to seven years old. But he does not do so. He is long-suffering, postpones the punishment. This long-suffering, says St. Peter says, account for your salvation, that you may say, O Lord, I also have sinned much and often in one way or the other. The punishment is not afflicted now, but is postponed. What does this mean? Certainly nothing else but that it will come, though now it is hidden. Therefore, dear Father, forgive me. I will repent and be renewed. 
For this reason, we should well notice the words of St. Peter, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And shortly before, he says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God delays punishment, it is done for our good. If we do not repent, however, but continue in sin and abuse the long-suffering of God, then the pitcher will have to break at last. Thus the thief, if he will not quit stealing in time, must at last be given over to the executioner. A lewd woman, who will not cease to lead a life of wickedness, will be put to shame at last. God has shown especially in the case of Jerusalem that although he hides the punishment, he will finally come and not let disobedience go free. May everyone therefore learn to fear God, and may all, both great and small, old and young, learn to understand that if they will not cease doing wrong, punishment will overtake them in time. Jerusalem will always serve as an example to warn us, that beautiful city, which was lauded even by the heathen historians as the most glorious and renowned in the East, is gone and swept away because she would not leave off sinning nor listen to God's word. This example the Lord sets before us today in our gospel, in order that we may take to heart and be benefited by it, learning from it that if we do not repent and accept the word and faith, God will not leave us unpunished, though he may delay his judgment for a while for our good, that we may improve the time and repent. If, however, you will not repent, but rather be the more daring and continue in wantonness, you may be sure that before you think the evil hour will come in which God will let you cry for help without hearing or answering you. This the Jews experienced. The siege lasted a short time from Easter to autumn. During this time they had their sacrifices, their singing and praying every day, but it was all in vain. God had shut his ears, as it were, and would not hear, because he had hid and delayed the punishment in order that they might hear his word, repent, and know the time of their visitation. But all was in vain with the hardened people. Therefore, when God made known the punishment, he hid himself and did not want to be found. Thus Hosea also threatens the kingdom of Israel when he says, chapter 5, They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. Then let us heed this example diligently and fear God, since his punishment will not be delayed forever because he prolongs our time of grace that we may be converted without being visited by his wrath at once, we should love him as our merciful Father, saying, Dear Father, thou wilt not leave sin unpunished. Therefore be gracious unto us, and grant unto me thy Holy Spirit, that I may repent and escape the well-deserved punishment. Whoever will thus repent shall enjoy the grace of God. Jerusalem would be standing today if the Jews had acknowledged their wrong and humbled themselves, saying, O God, we have offended against thee by our wickedness and by our killing thy servants, the prophets. Now thou hast given us thy holy gospel by thy Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us thy grace that we may be converted and live holy lives. If they had approached the Lord in this manner, they would have been saved. The Romans, with all their power, would have had to stay at home and leave them in peace. But because they continued in their sins, saying, There is no danger, why should God demolish the city in which he himself dwells and in which alone he has and will have his worship? If you think this, you are altogether mistaken. Hence it came to pass that not one stone was left upon another. And poor, destroyed, desolate Jerusalem stands before us as an example for all who are willfully wicked and refuse to repent, warning them that they shall suffer similar punishments. Others, who accept the word of God and repent, are comforted and instructed by this history. 
They learn to understand that when God delays his judgment, it is done for their good and for the purpose of graciously forgiving their sins if they repent and sin no more. It is nothing wonderful that we sin, but God cannot suffer us to defend our sin and continue in it with impenitent and hardened hearts, especially after having graciously visited us with his word to lead us to repentance. The poor city of Jerusalem has fallen and was brought to ruin by nothing else than the great title of being the city of God, his own house or dwelling place. That rendered the Jews secure, so that they thought it impossible that it should be destroyed. This will never take place because God thinks too much of it. If the whole world would congregate together, they should not be able to do her any harm. God will never suffer his dwelling place to be destroyed. In this title and favor they trusted, and did not heed any instruction. They thus filled the measure of wickedness and brought about all their misery. As now God, out of special grace, is visiting us today with his word, but both the papists and we make very bad use of it, the bishops persecuting and we abusing it in avarice, pride, and other sins, I am afraid Germany will have to suffer for it, whether at the hands of the Turks or by war, famine, and other calamities. Let us therefore well take to heart this example of Jerusalem's miserable destruction because of their refusing and rejecting the word of God, in order that we may hear and honor that word, and that, though we sin in manifold ways, we may repent and amend our lives. This is the first part of the gospel for today. Then the evangelist speaks about Christ's going unto the temple and casting out those that bought and sold therein, saying, My house is a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. This the Lord Jesus does by special authority, and it is to be considered like the other miracles which we cannot imitate. Otherwise, those making great and powerful dignitaries who profited by the business in the temple would have resisted him and not have yielded to one who stood alone and had no sword but only a scourge, as the other evangelists inform us. The fact that they silently suffered such rebuke and yielded to such power evidently proves that the Lord had spoken to them a word like that which he spoke to the Jews in the Garden of Gethsemane when they went backward and fell unto the ground. We shall never be able to do the same, nor should anyone explain this narrative as if it implied that ministers have the right to lay hands on the people and to make use of force as Christ here does, for if Christ had applied mere human power, he would have accomplished very little against so many. But we should not merely look at the deed, but also at the reason why it was performed. The reason is expressed in the words of the Lord, My house is a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. What could have moved the Lord to make use of such severe language? The Jews did not murder or steal in the temple, but carried on in the business of buying and selling animals, large and small, as they were needed for sacrifices, and had their money changers. Those living at a distance could not bring with them what they needed for their offering, so for them it was very convenient to find animals for sale by the servants of the high priests, and perhaps also money kept on hand, for the temple had its own money, as we learn from history. This arrangement seems to deserve praise instead of censure, for God himself had instituted and commanded the worship. How then could it be wrong thus to promote it? And there was a different purpose underlying it all. The priests, it is true, pretended to promote the worship by this arrangement, but they would not have cared so much for the worship if it had not yielded so much profit. They therefore cared more for money than for God. Actuated by such avarice, they could not preach about anything else but sacrificing. Such a service they would commend as the monks and priests commend the sacrifice of the Mass, as a means by which the forgiveness of sins and the grace of God is obtained. This drew the people together in great numbers, so that they were induced to neglect the true worship, which consists in fearing God and trusting in His goodness and in adhering to His word. 
They continued in all security in their sinful practice and supposed that all would be well if they only slaughtered and brought sacrifices, as we also learn from the writings of the prophets, who for this reason earnestly preached against their sacrifices. This is the true sin of murder, by which not the body, but the soul is destroyed forever, because people are taught to trust in their own works and not in the goodness and mercy of God. This Christ could not endure. We should not submit to it either, but should oppose it with all our power, but only by the word teaching the people to abstain from trusting in their own works and merits as though they could thereby receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and to put all their trust in the mercy of God who will forgive their sins and justify and save them for Jesus' sake. Then we should teach the people to be pious, not following their own thoughts, but obeying the word of God as a rule and guide. Whoever does this will rightly use the temple and his office. Whoever does not abuses his office and is a murderer of souls. This name is given to the priests in the kingdom of Israel also by Hosea, and it seems as though the Lord had reference to the words of the prophet who says, As troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. He desires to point out, thereby, the great evil which is wrought by teaching false doctrine. Instead of pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, the priests pointed to the slaughter of cows and oxen as though that were sufficient for eternal life. These might have replenished their kitchen, for they always received their share, but the people not only lost their money thereby, but also their soul's salvation. This the Savior cannot endure, and therefore overthrows their whole concern. And as the Lord did at that time in a miraculous manner, he still does in the church by punishing the factious spirits. The day also will come for the wicked bishops, priests, and monks, who out of avarice extol their mass and idolatry, when God will drive them out and, either by Turks or others, make an end of their business. This may suffice concerning our gospel for this time. May the God of all mercy awaken our hearts to his fear, keep us steadfast in his word, and by his Holy Spirit preserve us from all temporal and eternal misery. For Jesus' sake. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon on the text, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 48, preached on the 10th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. You can also find these sermons and other things that I'm up to on my website, wolfmuller.co, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R.co.